Hey there! Thank you for tuning in to Trans Planar RPG! We are an all-transgender, people-of-color-led, 100% homebrew, Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition livestreamed actual play campaign set in an original, non-colonial, anti-orientalist world. I am your Game Master, Connie, my pronouns are they, he, and she, and this is my cast. My name is C, I use they, them pronouns, and I play Okahaye, an Asamar blood hunter slash monster hunting expert. I'm Erica, and I play V. Nocturzo, your lovable elf sorcerer slash charlatan with draconic ancestry. My name is Lyra, and I use they-she pronouns. I play Manaya Wairua, a half-orc fighter with a sailing background. I'm Max, my pronouns are they-them, and I play Dewey Quirk, an Aarakoko artificer and researcher on the run from his former employers at the Ohanahi Research Laboratory. You can support Transplaner RPG by pledging to our Patreon. Patrons get early access to episodes, character sheets, high-res assets, and much, much more. As a heads up, this podcast is stitched together from the video of our Twitch streams. I promise the audio quality improves as we upgrade our gear, and I'm so excited for you to listen to this campaign. So, with that out of the way, here are the content warnings for this episode. Fantasy violence, gore, body horror, blood and bloodletting, apocalypse, monsters and monstrosity, cults and cult-like behaviors, interpersonal conflict, substance use and addiction, mentions of food, vomiting, rioting, spiders, scorpions, and tooth gore. Arc 1, Episode 5 Hope is what disarms the bomb. From Notes on Staying in Not Here by Hugh Min Nian. Tight is the weave of resolve. Loose is the tempo of war. Strong be the glacier. Fast be the current. Oka, Manaya, Dewey, and V. The four of you stand within the tunnel in the upper strata of the yawning Euclid chasm, the dull, sunless light outside the cavern fading quickly. A blockade of crumpled rock and boulder looms before you. The four of you have pledged to help the Kui excavate this blockage before returning to Dr. Oluso's settlement on the lip of the chasm. What remains of the Hoofbright clan huddles around a low, burning fire, these one-legged ox people looking up at the four of you with their wide, doe-like eyes. What do the four of you do? Well, I'm still panting a little bit, and they just kind of like take a deep, okay, okay. They bring their wings in tight against their back try to like pat out the part where they're still a little singed from these pvp attack earlier uh and they're gonna kind of raise an eyebrow to manaya you want to take this one well we're here to clear out the rocks let's get started i don't think any of us can really see as well as in the dark as you and so we might have to bring some of the fire down closer to the, the rubble I've got an axe, I'm ready to shovel some rocks. Lead the way. At the end of last session, I believe I used Mei-Chan to grab the torch that I used light on to have the end just glow. So, so I have that in my hand, so I'm also gonna like lead the way. And I'm just gonna cast light again, probably because it's been almost an hour and just to have another hour of light coming from it. And that'll help illuminate the way we're going. Sounds good. I am following close behind 
Manaya Envy. Okay, cool. Uh, so Manaya, you turn to the boulders, and as you do, one of the Kui hops on their single leg uh, toward you, their turquoise scales glimmering in this low firelight. And you're pretty sure this one is Shen, but I don't know if you've ever spent a lot of time with Kui before, so you're not quite, they look pretty much the same to you. Uh, some of them are slightly bigger than others, maybe. Some of them have a chipped horn here or there, uh, but this one looks like every other one. Uh, and this one goes, well, we would really appreciate your help in moving these boulders. As you can tell, it's been a little difficult for us because we don't have hands, just horns and a single hoof. But you have hands and big muscles, it appears. These, oh, not this, nothing. It's what you get for working on a ship. Anyway, let's start moving these rocks. How big are the boulders? Are they big enough? Are they small enough for like us to like pick up and move, or do we have to like smash them down into smaller pieces? Some of them are pretty small. Some of them you could probably pick up if you were really, really, really strong. But others, especially the ones toward the back of this cave-in, seem pretty big. Maybe multiple people could move one, or you could use like tools to smash them up. Uh, so how are y'all trying to tackle this, generally speaking, as a party? And then I'll make y'all do some skill rolls to see how successful you are. I have a grappling hook and a chain. So I feel like using the chains to try to, you know, get around the rock uh -huh. uh, and at least pull, pull them out a little more. Uh -huh. I think that's going to be Oka's go-to. V's strength is terrible, so I'm going to use Mage Hand and just grab, like, anything that's, like, you know, 10 pounds or less to just move <laughs> it, like, the little stuff. So you're just, stuff. like, scuffing the edges of this cave-in, looking for the small pebbles, anything you could handle. <laughs> Yeah, if there's anything like that's kind of lodged in a little bit, I might like work with my mage hand to like rip out to like so that we can get to the big stuff easier. Sounds good to me. And Dewey, Manaya? Kanye, remind me how tall this cave is. You're stooping a little, so it's just about I, okay. it's about nine or ten feet at its tallest point. So it's like irregular, right? There's like dips okay. in it, so you're you have to stoop a bit during the lower dips. Yep. Dewey is. Kind of in the same vein as what he's doing, finding any and all rocks he can carry, which is not very many rocks. Okay. But, yeah. Yeah, you're just uh, gonna use your little feathered hands to sweep at the tiny pebbles and leave the big heavy lifting to the muscular girl and muscular boy in your party, okay? And Manaya, are you helping out Oka? Yes, so moving any rocks that we can carry and smashing any rocks that are too big for us to carry into smaller carryable pieces. Sounds good. Manaya, since you seem to be mostly using your brute strength, why don't you roll a straight up athletics check for me to see how effective you are? Oka, because you're also using a tool, your grappling hook to pull at it. Let's say you can roll athletics with advantage. And Dewey and V make a dexterity check for me, please. 19. How about the rest of y'all? Um, 14. 14 for me. 14 for Manaya. Wow. Okay, a decent effort. 21 from Dewey. Very, very competent Six. pebble pushing. Yeah. V? 16. 16. Okay, I, I'd say these are pretty round, good numbers across the board. You're able to not only help the Kui excavate what's left of the boulders, but you do it in an average to admirable length of time. The light has faded for sure from the sky by the time you're done, but it hasn't faded for very long, probably only maybe like an hour, hour and a half. And the Kui are all sort of like stand by, just sort of like looking like from you as you're carrying the rocks back to like the rock wall, looking looking like ping-ponging, right? And like a little montage flashes by as like, Oka, you grunt and 
strain against the grappling hook, and Manaya, you break it down with your axe, and then you carry off the chunks and do your your scuffling on your hands and knees, uh, pulling, uh, dust panning the pebbles. And V, you just sort of lazily swing your wrist, and your mage hand takes care of the uh, debris. And finally, when you get to the end of this blockade, you see on the other side of this tunnel more quay. You actually meet them also excavating, you sort of meet in the middle. You hear them sort of gr grunting and straining as well, and you see one, looks like an elder, perhaps, with like weathered horns, sort of like a gray muzzled face, and their eyes are kind of milky, uh, perhaps has some vision uh, impairments, and this elder Quay sort of slowly hops, lumbers forward, and looks up, like, in noses in the general direction of your party as the final boulder is rolled out of the way and goes, Outsiders? Were you helping us? And the other quite immediately, the ones who were uh, in the tunnel with you, rush forward and they uh, begin to nuzzle and moo uh, and low against the remaining clan, which you notice there's a lot more. So the people who were cut off were, were probably only like a third or a fourth of the herd that they had. The children being reunited with their parents, cousins with cousins, brothers and sisters. The elder turns to your party and says, Thank you for your assistance. I smell monster blood on you. Oh, that that's our friend Oka. My name is Manaya. Ah, Manaya, it is a pleasure to meet you. My name is Elder Long. This is my son here, Shen. Our gratitude for your help in not only ridding the monsters, we could hear the fight on the other end of this cave-in, but we could not help, and it was torturous to hear your loved ones being attacked and being powerless to stop it. So, thank you so much for lending your help, and I also smell Dr. Oluso upon you. Are you perhaps acquaintances or friends? You might call us that, yeah. Well, Dr. Olusu is a good man. You are in good company, and we must, again, express our gratitude. If you ever need help in the Euclid chasm, call upon the Hoofbright clan, and we will heed your cries for help. Thank you. And they all sort of bend on their single knees and sort of incline their heads to you. Okay, it has to sidestep so they don't get cored by a little horn. Right. Uh, Shen sort of gives you a sideways look, Oka, and whispers something in Elder Long's uh, ear. You don't really know. <laughs> they don't seem to have ears, really, as so much as flaps of scales. And Elder Long goes, oh, is that so? Well, I'm sure this one did not mean to lie. <laughs> it is getting late. Oka scratches their forehead. You can certainly rest the night here, or if you have other business to attend to, we can send you on your way out of the chasm with an escort. To be honest, I hadn't been keeping a track of the time. As for the, um, monsters, I hear that they thrive in the dark. Did you- you didn't have any on this side of the collapse, did you? Thankfully, no. It seems oh. we could hear them in the other- tunnel systems trying to break their way in, but they didn't seem to originate from within the caves. All of the attacks that we've heard of from within the chasm, they seem to have come from outside. At least this doesn't mean they were buried within the earth, waiting for millions of years to burst through. Ah, that would be terrifying. 
Oh, that really would. I feel like it's just as terrifying now. A child, a very small baby quay, little nubs, little nubbins for horns, bounces forward, sort of like tugs on the elder's beard with, with their mouth, and the elder goes, oh, oh, yes, what is it, Yue? And Yue, this little, tiny little quay says, I, I saw them. I saw them come. They fell from the sky in a glowing orb. And then when they touched the ground, they splattered outward. And from that glowing orb became darkness. And Lung goes, Ah, oh, the tales of children. How disconcerting. No, this is- Where did you see it? In the gorge. Lower strata. Ah, you know, I I wouldn't pay. And the elder sort of like leans into the four of you. I wouldn't pay. Yes, tales, much attention. They have a uh, reputation for exaggerating. Which, of course, we tried to root out of them due to our strong, honesty-bound culture. Grandpa, I'm not exaggerating. I saw it, I swear. I swear on Galtanger. Manaya's going to kneel down to Yue and say... One should not dismiss dismiss the tales that children tell, for every tale has at least a grain of truth. We'll keep an eye out to make sure no more come tonight. But tomorrow, I'm sorry to say we must go back. I understand. It seems like the doctor is scrambling to try to fix this entire mess, and if there's anyone who can do it, it's them. Yes, you're more than welcome to come roost with us for the night. We, we have a delicious selection of lizards and rocks for you to chew upon. I turned to Manaya and said, wait, when, when did we decide that we were staying? Oh, no, you're free to go back to that traitorous doctor. I'm going to stay here and make sure that these people are safe. Uh, we really appreciate it, but we think it will be much safer deeper within the tunnels. We'll be able to set up a movable blockade that only we, the Kui, can move, so that any monsters that come in will have a hard time getting through. And now that our clan is reunited, we should be able to set up the blockade because our powers can be pooled. Oh, well, that's <laughs> wonderful. Certainly, but you can definitely stay. It's up to you, honestly, what you'd like to do now. I really like to get my hands in some of that gooey stuff yeah. uh, as soon as possible. No, no wonder you smell like it. Hey, you well, smell like a cave cat. <laughs> what was well, that? With your, pay them no mind. Okay. With your safety assured, I think we really should be going back to the doctor. They were looking for us to uh, help them with some whatever. Very well. Well, we, we, I'll send an escort, my strongest fighter, Bow. And sort of coming from the back, you all hear a chorus of moo, moo, and Bow, Bow. As a huge, <laughs> the biggest one, the biggest ox of them all sort of hops forward. He's extremely muscular, has four horns instead of two, lumbers forward. He's tall. He's taller than Dewey, which is saying something because these oxen are very small. And he goes... I shall help escort you out of the upper strata. It will be my duty and my honor. Your escort uh, is well appreciated. Follow me. And Bao sort of hops 
every hop thudding like thunder against the <laughs> rock floor of this tunnel. This huge muscle-bound turquoise-scaled ox. He leads you out of the tunnel as the rest of the Hoofbright clan sort of do their summation of what you think is waving. They sort of like rock their horns back and forth and moo in uh, saying goodbye as the four of you follow Bao. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to do before you return to Dr. Oluso's homestead? V is going to cast message and say directly into Oka's mind, that is the first time I've done something nice without a payment in a very long time and I don't like it. Uh, Oka will respond, you know, I would pay you to teach me how to fucking lie better. (laughs) (laughs) We could work on it. You could definitely work on your lying. We could practice. I thought I was really convincing. I don't even remember what it was I said, but I thought, I mean, it was so small. I don't know how this happened to me. He just starts laughing, which to the rest of the party, just like they don't understand why she's laughing. Y'all have light on, right? Y'all have cast light. Yeah. I know V has, and Oka, I'm assuming you have as well. Uh, this small radius of light fanning out from your party as Val hops, thudding, 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 back up the path, back up the way you came. And within a few minutes, probably within, within the hour, uh, you make your way back out of the chasm and onto the lip of the Euclid, where you can see Dr. Oluso's stone-thatched cottage looming in the dark. Small glowing sigils you can see now in the darkness, encircling, wrapping the circumference of the wood of the house. The glyphs are in sort of like an arcane language, and Bao stops there and says, I must return to my people. Safe travels. And to you as well. You know, I bet if you just stomped, if any of those things come back, if you could just get one good stomp on them. Yes, I will stomp them to death with my hoof. And Bao says, it is unfortunate I was trapped on the other side of the blockade. Perhaps we would not have needed your assistance. We are stronger in numbers. Again, you have the loyalty and the gratitude of the Hoofbright clan of the upper strata of the Euclid chasm if you are ever in need of help. Inclines his horned head again, looks at you with one final piercing gaze, Oka, and then hops, turns around and hops back down into the gorge until they disappear into the darkness. You know, I think if we ever do actually need their help, I should not be the one asking for it. Just putting that out there. Like literally anyone else. No, I think you should always be the first person always. (laughs) That's how you build trust. Wait, really? No, that was a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Number one. (laughs) Your lying lessons. So are y'all gonna go into the cottage now? Are you gonna hang around outside in the dark for a bit? Or what's your play here? To the cottage. All right, to the cottage. So the four of you finally reapproach the cottage. You walk up the little like stone platform that the cottage is elevated on. And you can sort of see like a warm glowing uh, light from inside coming like filtering through the cloth curtains that are drawn shut uh, over the windows. And you push your way in. As you do, you see Dr. Aluso standing rather, let's say, uh, a little awkwardly in the middle of the cottage, wearing what appears to be a flower-stained apron. You also see that the table where they had unfurled the scroll is now cleared, and instead of any like materials on it, you see what appears to be multiple oblong fried cakes. 
um, all about like tan or brownish in color, uh, each of which is marked with a design that resembles the cross-hatched bottom of a shoe. Uh, you also see chunks of sugar, some wrapped candies here and there, and cubes of hardened cheese sitting in a tray nearby. Uh, so as the four of you enter, Squeak is also in the corner. She's just standing there staring. Uh, as the four of you, <laughs> she's standing there staring. Uh, as the four of you enter, uh, Dr. Lucius says, Ah, welcome back. Another party, is it? Manaya glances at V. Why are you looking at me? Uh, he loves parties. I've been known to party. Oh shit, I love those little candies too. <laughs> <laughs> those little candy bitches. Wait, these are totally my favorite. <laughs> I love these little candy bitches. <laughs> uh, Dr. Lucy says, ah, uh, yes, are you familiar with Kyrian culture? I, I love these little candies. Yes, they're quite like I said. Feel free to um, go ahead and dig in, uh, but I just wanted to say, <clears throat> uh, Dr. Lucy sort of clears their throats. Uh, their awkwardness sort of intensifies as they just sort of, they're just sort of standing there. They're not holding anything. Uh, their hands are, their arms are kind of stiff by their sides. Uh, <laughs> and they are sort of like looking maybe like a foot above all of your heads as they speak. And they say, I wanted to uh, uh, apologize uh, for what I said earlier tonight. Uh, I realize in hindsight that my feedback may have been... Uh, <clears throat> Ab abrasive. Uh, it's it's been a while since I've interacted with anyone except for Squeak. Uh, I I was thinking we could stack this old move together as a belated Adolin celebration. Uh, I made it while you were gone. I I was hoping we could eat and talk. I, could I would love to talk. Conversation is always good. Great. Okay. Hi. Wonderful. Yeah. Uh, uh, have have a seat. Are any of you familiar with with all the moves. Are any of us familiar with? Yeah. So uh, why don't y'all actually just roll uh, roll a culture check? I'm gonna say culture and history go in the same check. So intelligence. See if you might have read about this tradition anywhere. Or read about it somehow. A gentleman's seven. A gentleman's seven from Oka. A queen's three. A queen's three from V. Dewey Manaya. A peasant's twenty-three. A peasant's twenty-three. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that makes sense. Dewey is a researcher. That makes the most sense to me. Uh, Manaya? Nine. Okay, uh, Manaya, Oka, and V, mm, you're not really sure what's up with this cake or if it has any significance or anything. It, just, it looks like a cake, like cakes, various cakes, like shoe, like oblong shoe patterned cakes. Dewey, you have heard of this tradition. Uh, the Olbuv is a kind of um, traditional Kyrian uh, pastry. It is similar to like a what we in like the real world would consider like a Christmas tree or like a menorah even. It's usually like made and stacked in like a very ritualistic way that's similar to like lighting the candles on a menorah to celebrate a new year, a new year. And it's like uh, native to the, the clans of Kirtal. Not only this, maybe you like stumbled upon just a random scroll while you're working at the URL, like something about like Kyrian traditions. You also know that each aspect of the Olubuv has social significance as well. So families make the soul-like impression in each cake with a wooden stamp that they pass down through generations. Uh, and each stamp is unique. So Olubuv designs sort of identify families like a fingerprint. So it's interesting that Dr. Luso seems to either have access to a stamp or has made their own 
uh, impression in each cake. And you also know that tradition dictates that the number of layers in the cake and how it's stacked in sort of like a hexagonal shape depends on your role in the family. So elders typically prepare seven layers, young couples stack three, and everyone else makes five layers. Uh, but there, there don't seem to be enough cakes right now for any of those. These just seem to be, seems to be a more laid back version of the usual tradition. That's what uh, you know, Dewey, looking at this uh, cake. I'm going to make a show of looking at the marks on the cake. Okay. And being like, wow, this is so, this is so uh, intricate. Can I see the stamp? You've... Ah, uh, yes, of course. I'm surprised and impressed that you're familiar with the tradition. Please dig in, help yourselves. Uh, Dr. Luso says as they ruffle, you know, they rustle through a drawer and they pull out uh, a stamp. A wooden stamp. It appears pretty new, actually, Dewey, uh, and they hand it to you. And you see, like, the engravings match what's been stamped on each cake. Uh, Oka has two pieces of candy in their lip. Okay. Um, like, what are you looking at, Dewey? I've, uh, I've read about these. They're passed down from within a family. Um, I don't know. It's a curious tradition. I've just read about in books. I, I hand it back to Dr. Aluso. Ah, uh, yes. This obviously wasn't passed down. As you can tell, the grain of the wood is very new. I decided to make one myself after, uh, <clears throat> learning how to make it from a family in Kirtal. Please eat, it's Are you delicious. from Kirtal, doctor? Uh, no, I am not. I am a wanderer. I don't really lay claim to a home or a nation. But I, I have friends all over, uh, acquaintances. We don't really, uh, we don't really keep, keep in touch that much, though. I like to think that I uh, know what I'm doing in the in the in the kitchen. Spend a lot of time there alone. So, Oka's gonna start tearing into the food. Great, Oka, you sit part. down and you begin ripping. V's doing gonna this take some oh, and just eat it. Watching Oka just plow into it. V is just like taking little chunks at a time, just being very careful about it. Are you worried about it being poisoned or something? Of course I'm V. I know you. <laughs> <laughs> A doctor Lucy sort of clocks your slow eating and says, I promise there's nothing bad in this unless you're allergic to dairy. Do you know how many times Shit. people have promised me that they have not poisoned something and then I find out it's poisoned after the fact? I will take my chances being safe. You. I understand, but it is a delicious pastry and you'll be missing out. I'm eating it, am I not? Dewey, please help yourself. If you know what this is, you should know how it tastes, theoretically at least. Uh, I've read about it, but I'm interested to see how it tastes, and I chew into it. <laughs> yeah, again, it's it's nice. It's like sweet and and doughy, very rich and thick, um, kind of similar in consistency to like a moon moon cake, probably. Well, I'm gonna take a couple of bites and then set her plate down. Uh, once everyone has sort of like settled in a little bit and started eating, um, Doctor Luso says, "So I assume you were able to help the Queen clear the uh, blockade." Yes, we reunited them with their family, and they are now well uh, fortified against those monsters. Wonderful. I'm glad to hear it. They must be very grateful. The Kui are a, uh, the Hoofbright clan at least, are a very, um, dignified family. They remember their debts, and they like to repay them. They said something about, uh, a light falling from the sky, uh, into the gorge. And that's where all the monsters came from. Do you know anything about that? Dr. Aluso pauses and says, how did they describe this light? It was like an orange light. The ball came down from the sky into the earth and splat out 
things. I did notice something. I wasn't sure what to make of it on the night of the cataclysm, the vanishing, whatever you want to call it. I did. I thought I saw something falling from the sky into the chasm, but I didn't get a really good look. It was glowing, but in a way I'd never seen anything glow before, almost like it was pulsing with darkness. But as it plunged into the gorge, obviously I can't see in the dark, I didn't see where it went. But that, that might have been what, the, what this Kui saw. I wonder how it's related to the cataclysm and the monsters. Is it possible they fell from the sky? You know, the Kwe said that they didn't come out of the earth. There were none in the caves. They were just trying to get into the caves. And I would trust a Kwe's word on that. They're very attuned to the earth. If they say that they didn't sense any monsters disturbing their nests, I'm inclined to believe them. Though speaking of the monster, I can share what I've learned while you were helping the Kwe. Oh, did you already dig in? I... Oka says with a fistful of cake. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I, I did. It's, it's still alive if you want to go down and take a look at yourself. But I, uh, I, th- I think I should tell you what I've discovered before you do. <clears throat> uh, Dr. Luso clears their throat and sets down their plate. Um, and they say, I've learned three disturbing and very important things about this monster. First of all, I have to thank you again for catching it for me. Uh, If it weren't alive, I doubt I would have learned any of these things. The first thing is that it appears to be stronger and more evasive in dim and no light. It's harder to hit, it's faster. Uh, I I tested it by shutting out the lights, and I realized that I had a hard time hitting it, even though I'm pretty good at hunting even at night. The... uh, Second thing I learned is that it it seems to possess some sort of, uh... Dr. Oluso looks a little disturbed. Sack. Within its body. It had blood, but no heart, no intestines, nothing like that. Just the huge mouth, as I'm sure you remember. Sort of at the bottom of that mouth. Of its throat, though I hesitate to call it a throat, it was more like a passageway. Was, was a sack. Kind of like a stomach, perhaps, but that was the only thing I found inside of it. It appeared like, empty. Like an ink sack? Uh, like a... Uh, like Squeak's sack. Uh, and points at the satchel that's sort of tied to Squeak's belt, and Squeak goes, What? That's disgusting. When we were fighting the first ones, I, uh, crawled into its mouth, and I didn't get eaten. I went in willingly, to be clear. And there wasn't really anything in there, actually, now that I am remembering. There were just lots of passages that seemed to go to all the different mouths. Uh-huh. Uh, Dr. Alusa looks very disturbed uh, by what you said, Oka, and says, Here's the third thing I discovered, and perhaps the most disturbing thing. Um, I said it was empty, right? Uh, but I had, I had a kind of suspicion. After all, it had been attacking the Kwe, and for there not to even have been any remnants of the body parts inside this thing being digested, it, it struck me as odd. I have an object in my possession, known as a gem of seeing. It allows me to see the true states and appearances of things. Uh, even though it's a powerful object, it only has a few charges left, and I decided to spend one charge 
to peer at this sack within this creature's body. And I saw Dr. Aluso's uh, brow furrows deeply, and a dark look comes over their face. A soul. Like, it's soul? No. No. This was not, this soul did not belong to this creature. It belonged to someone else. If I had to guess, a koi. Oh, fuck. The odd thing is, the soul appeared to be in a state of suspended animation. Souls usually have their own aura, their own uh, spiritual energy. This one seemed like it was suspended in amber, fossilized. Something about the sack, something about its properties. Um, Oka, have you ever fought a hag before? Mm-hmm. Have you ever fought a night hag? Yes. It, it struck me as the, the most similar thing I could compare it to in our world was a, a soul bag of a night hag. If you don't know what that is, it's an uh, object that hags make out of uh, the flesh of people in order to hold the souls of, well, evil, evil folk within them in a state of suspended animation until, of course, the hag consumes the soul. But this this soul was not being consumed. It was not being digested. It was simply being held. Almost as though the monster were, I don't know, waiting for something or transporting it. So I decided to... <clears throat> this is the third thing I discovered. I decided to release the soul and let the Kui finally get its rest to move to the beyond, to the after, and, and be reunited with its ancestors. And I'm afraid I made a grave mistake. Because as soon as I pulled the soul out of the sack, the soul ended up dissipating into nothingness. Like the quaddle. Excuse me? And V's gonna talk about what she felt after they killed the Quaddle, where like it didn't die normally, how the weave normally reacts to death. Mm -hmm. Dr. Eluso sort of takes this in and like is nodding slowly and goes, I see. So it appears that this is not the first time this has happened. I I don't know what any of this means. I I fear I may have doomed that poor Kui's soul to well, nothingness. Typically speaking, when we die, our souls go to the after, right? It travels through the ethereal plane, the veil that, con that separates the now and the after, and it, it resides finally in the after. But if the soul has nowhere to go, then it simply vanishes, which means that we're not just separated from the beyond and can't contact the gods, but we're also separated from the after. That's what I've discovered. I hope this satiates some of your unsatisfied feelings about the talk we had last time. I would hardly call that satiating. I think I have more concerns than I did when we started the conversation. But now we have information, more knowledge about what's to come next. This will, at the very least, aid our future investigations. So if we die to any of these creatures, though, it is safe to assume that uh, our souls, if that's what you call it, uh, will get stuck inside of these creatures? It appears so. Well, let's not die, friends. 
wasn't planning on it. I wonder, though, if the sacks are, like, holding onto the souls, like they're amber fossils, as long as the creature doesn't die or you don't take the soul out, it stays put, right? We can bring the beyond and the after back and then kill all these monsters with their souls go to the after. Dr. Luso nods and says, that is a viable plan. I'd have to build a lot more cages, though. Think of all the people they, might have, they must have attacked by now. This sack, I'm just curious, was it still inside of the creature or you weren't able to, like, take it out of the creature? I kind of forcibly made it regurgitate. Ah. Sounds lovely. I'm glad I ate before this conversation. I'm sorry, I have my methods. Can't disagree. But it's still alive down there, you say, a creature. Yes. Maybe we should go take a look and see if there's anything else we can learn from them. You can if you want. It's pretty aggressive. And unless you know how to use my tools or if I'm there to assist you, I I wouldn't want you going down there alone. I thought you said it was in a cage. It is. Uh, But to inspect it, I take it out of its cage and I strap it down. Hard little bugger to strap down, I imagine. Do we... I, um... How are you feeling about all of this information? I, you're someone who seems to know a lot of things that I'm surprised me every day. I also have more questions than I had before this conversation. And also some questions about mm, the good doctor's methods. It's getting late. Best head to bed before I uh, let you know what I have in store for you in terms of your mission in the morning. So the good doctor has decided that despite our chaotic lack of teamwork, we Uh, still ought to work together. Like I said, I'm sorry for saying that. Sorry, this cake is really fucking good. (laughs) Yeah, it is good. And by now, V has also started consuming it quite a lot. She feels pretty safe that it's not going to kill her. Dewey's lost his appetite. (laughs) That's fair. (laughs) I actually want to speak to Squeak. I just... Squeak, uh, I know that you sell, buy and sell a lot of things. I was just curious, I've got some unprocessed gems. I was wondering, either do you know uh, how to process gems and make these a little bit uh, more valuable, or would you know ways that I could get them processed? Do I, do I look like an anvil and a chisel to you? You know, you, you surprise me every day that we talk. You seem like a very capable person. How might, I've only known you for probably a day, so you never know until you ask. Well, if you're going to take this mission that Dr. Luso's giving you, you'll have plenty of opportunity to process these gems. I don't have access to my workshop right now, so I can't do it for you. Okay, that is all I needed to know. Thank you. you don't, thank you. You're very helpful. I love you very much. And I cast message to Oka. See, that that is how you do it. A squeak just sort of narrows narrows her big, bulbous, grung eyes at you. She's still extremely suspicious of your party. Uh, And she's not even trying to hide it. Not even going to make you make an insight check. She's like narrowing her eyes at all of you. Uh, So the four of you, uh, Squeak sort of leads the four of you to like a small shack, like shack-like area, almost like a little like barn loft connected to the back of Dr. Luce's cottage where sort of you can sleep in the hayloft. Um, And as she's sort of leading the four of you 
Uh, Dr. Luso says, uh, you don't have to worry about being stalked or attacked in the middle of the night here. I have spent many years of my life building up magical wards around my property. I think that's why my chickens are still intact, at the very least. And of course, I'm just, I'll be in the other house, so if anything happens out here, I'll be able to help out. Um, but be before the four of you go, uh, Oka, can I have a word with you in private? Oh, uh, sure. Great. Uh, have a good night, the rest of you. And Dr. Elusa sort of pulls you aside to where the chickens are pecking. Is anyone going to try to eavesdrop? Or are y'all going to bed? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, uh, why don't you roll stealth against uh, Oka's uh, perception? Passive perception. Uh, I asked 12. Uh, as you, Oka, and Dr. Eluso stop by the chickens, Oka, your ears sort of uh, twitch. The tips of your ears twitch as you hear something apparently stalking you in the darkness behind you. Footsteps squeaking in the mud. Drawing the sword immediately, and they're like, I thought you said we weren't going to be followed. Oh. Uh, you turn around, <laughs> and ignited by the glow of your sword, you see V. I was out here to look at these beautiful chickens, which you said they are protected. I was so... They're lovely chickens. Hello. <laughs> Dr. Lusa says, uh, can we please have a moment of privacy? <sighs> uh, secrets are lies, but okay, fine. Have fun. I go back into the... Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you failed. You failed. V, go... <laughs> Go tuck your tail between your legs in shame. Okay, uh, so Dr. Oluso turns to you, Oka, and says, uh, thank you for taking the time to talk to me. Um, I just wanted to tell you that I noticed something else during my examination of your chest scar earlier tonight. I didn't want to say anything in front of your companions because you strike me as a person who values discretion. I appreciate that. I noticed that your tea is heavily blocked. Uh, I've actually never really seen anything like it before. Uh, there appears to be a lot of spiritual um, repression occurring, and I fear that if it continues to go untreated for as long as I suspect it has, your body will soon begin to suffer the consequences, especially now that the gods are not around to protect you. Fuck. <laughs> that, that was C. I had to let that out. <clears throat> my what what what's blocked I'm sick your tea uh, and you would know what uh, Dr. Luce is referring to it's sort of like the uh, energy that flows through everyone's body not necessarily magical more so just like spiritual perhaps though it can very much be magical and Dr. Luce says yes it's been blocked for quite a while now probably at least a few years if not almost a decade Oka casts light in their palm okay. and like turns it over their fingers like a little ball. Okay. But everything seems fine. Yeah, it's you look physically this. okay, aside from the fact that you have a big ass scar on your, you know, chest and all across your body. Mm -hmm. So how do I, how do I unblock it? I, I know someone who might be able to help you, uh, a specialist in this sort of thing but I, I actually sent her and her friends out on a different field mission. They, they should be back by the time your party returns as well. What's her name? Her name is Voska. Voska Jiang. We'll talk then, then. Very well. It's up to you if you wish to disclose this information to the rest of your party. I, I don't think it 
would hinder your performance in combat or battle quite yet. But if you... These sorts of things usually have a source or a trigger. If you do get closer to the source of your repression or your trigger, then it might begin to hinder you unless it is untreated. Understood. Do you have any idea what that sort of trigger or source might be? I'm not asking because I'm trying to pry. I'm asking for your sake. It might be good for me to know so I can help you. I have a plenty fine idea. Just uh, <clears throat> let's see if we can avoid missions to too long. Understood. Have a good night, Oka. You as well, Doctor. you wake up with the light from the sunless sky shuddering in through the gaps in the wooden slats of this hayloft. The bed, quote-unquote bed, that Hitsaguten Oluso had set up for each of you was less of a bed, more of a pile of hay uh, and some, like, soft feathers <laughs> from their chickens, presumably, that they shed, that they stuffed into a, a, a a makeshift pillow, but it was surprisingly very comfortable given the fact that it was in a barn. Um, you wake up to the smell of, of breakfast uh, cooking outside of Hitsaguten Oluso's cottage. It smells like slow roasted lamb, charcoal grilled perhaps. You wake up to this delicious smell, saliva sort of filling your mouths, and you get ready for the day leave the hayloft and you exit the barn. You see Dr. Hitsagutan Oluso rotting a low burning campfire. It appears right outside of their home where they are roasting a leg of lamb over it. And they say, good morning, breakfast? Yes, please, I would absolutely love to, I'm famished. Help yourself. And they gesture to like some knives that they and like forks and plates that they have set around the campfire. The chickens, you notice, are pecking at scraps, fresh scraps, from the cakes from last night. Not the lamb. No, <laughs> they're not it's carnivorous. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of birds that aren't carnivorous, <laughs> uh, I'm going to I'm gonna pass on the lamb for breakfast. Okay. Uh, good thing I still have some stuff I foraged from our long trip. Dr. Luso sees you eating the foraged berries and nuts and whatnot and says, Oh, Dewey, are you not a fan of lamb? No, I'm not so big on the grilled meat for breakfast thing, or grilled meat in general. Oh, are you a vegetarian? Uh, close enough. I should have asked. Um, I have, I have some, uh, fresh produce. I can fry something up for you real fast. Uh, I don't want to inconvenience you. Please, it's it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. How do you, uh, take your eggs? I'm sorry, is that insensitive? I'll just stick with my nuts and seeds for breakfast. Are you sure? I make make a killer kale salad. It's really good. (laughs) Uh... Hitsangadan looks really earnestly at you. It's a really yummy salad. Squeak! Squeak can tell you how much she likes my salad. Squeak! Uh, I like your salad when I eat it, but I prefer bugs. There you have it. Or do you eat I bugs? I we were role-playing out an awkward breakfast. 
Uh, okay, you. This is just like a real life. I just like drift away. Okay. <laughs> Doctor Lucy goes no. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, and y- the rest of you finish up your breakfast, and when you're done, Doctor Lucy says, "I hope um, the hay wasn't too scratchy in the night, and that you are well rested now." We've been sleeping in the wastes for the last forty days, so. Ah, so I suppose this is an upgrade. Wonderful. Well, I'd love to tell the four of you about the mission I would like to send you on. Um, Go for it. Tell me about the mission before I agree to anything. That makes sense. Of course, I'll tell you. So I'm not sure if you've heard about the riots in Dabathati. We have. Okay. Well, just to sort of jog your memory, there have been rumors of the miners uh, in the Ujval mines in Dabathati, which is the capital, of course, of Talmud, the Republic, uh, in the wake of the cataclysm. I suspect that, of course, it makes sense that the miners are upset. Their livelihood is threatened in a very literal, physical way, but I think there's something deeper. I have a feeling that these riots, uh, there's more than meets the eye about them, and I I would like the four of you to investigate the true reason why the miners are rioting, why they're so upset and angry. Part of my suspicion is aroused, of course, by the fact that my reports indicate that the rioters are also attacking innocent people, which, you know, if they were truly upset at, let's say, the consulate or, you know, the senators, why not just target them? Why attack the people? So I fear that innocent lives are being hurt and even demolished. Do you think it might have something to do with a monster? I would not be surprised if a monster were involved in some way, is what I'll say. Dabathati is also where the headquarters of Chrysalis are. If you don't know what Chrysalis is, it is a... (laughs) They're a group of doomsday cultists, is what they are. They claim that they have the path to enlightenment, and they claim to worship a... Dr. Lucille rolls their eyes, entity known as the chrysalis, that they say can grant them a perfect body in the wake of the ape disappearing on us. They're nothing more than cultists. I suspect Um, they might be involved in this as well. Perfect, because I'm... Considered a prophet by some of their preachers. Excuse me? I convinced one of them that uh, the chrysalis gave me certain powers to transform my bodies, and they were very taken by it. They were very enjoyable. They gave me the redress. I've got, I was gonna go stop by and knock on the door. You made yourself known to the chrysalis as a prophet? I did nothing of the sort. They pronounced me prophet. I just do what I do. V, not only was that extremely foolhardy, impulsive, and dangerous of you to do, but it was also extremely intelligent. You now That's have an, what I'm saying. <laughs> you now have an in with the chrysalis. They likely yeah. wouldn't suspect someone they think is a prophet. So if they do end up being involved somehow in these riots, you have a way to get in. This is why V does what V does, okay? It's it's the long game. It's the long game. Uh Doctor, you really should not encourage her. I understand. A broken clock is right twice a day. (laughs) What? (laughs) Sorry, was that rude? I can't tell what's rude or not. 
who killed creature last time down that you got in your basement? It was your friend V. Let's not criticize. You're it's right. You're right. I'm sorry. I, it's just second nature for me to scrutinize not just things but people as well. I have to stop doing that. It's a bad habit of mine. Do you have any other questions about this mission that I have in store for you? Well, I suppose the first is how do we tell you what's going on? And what do you want us to do, particularly? Do you want us to just go and check it out? Do you want us to stop the riots if they are, you know, dependent on a monster? What's the goal here? I understand you to go, but uh, I prefer taking action over just watching. Ideally, if you can stop the riots, please do. But if stopping them would jeopardize your life, I prefer that you just retreat and take what information you have and give it to me. I, um, <clears throat> in terms of speaking, I have a scrying bowl you can use. There's a certain ritual you have to activate, uh, but after the ritual is satisfied, we should be able to communicate for up to ten minutes before the bowl needs to reset for the next day. Some high-powered magic to do such a thing. Well, over the long course of my career, I've acquired quite a few useful magical items here and there. Uh, speaking of which, I would like to give one of them to you right now, just as a thanks for helping me capture the monster, uh, as well as to aid you on your journey. Uh, this gem of seeing that I mentioned earlier, I would like to give your party. Uh, and Dr. Eluso reaches into their pocket and they pull out like a, a completely transparent, like if you like placed it on a glass table, you it would disappear. You know, like that's how transparent this, this gem is. Um, it doesn't seem to reflect light so much as just like have light go through it completely. Dr. Eluso says, there is a trigger phrase you can use to activate this gem. I have said it to be, show me what you are but you can say whatever you want as long as the intention imbues your words. Once you speak this trigger phrase, hold this gem up to your eye and look at the object or the thing whose true form you wish to discern, and it will show you. However, there are a finite number of uses. I did use one last night. There are only two left. Use them wisely. And just holds it out to your party as a whole. Who's going to take it? Uh, V's going to grab it. Okay, so Manai doesn't want it. But she's going to step forward when V goes to grab it and say, ah, ah, ah. I promise I won't do anything terrible with it. What if I'm in a jam and need to see things as they really are? We're dealing with crazy cult. I might need some assistance. I think you can get in people's heads well enough without having to see who they are. That's fair. Fine, I was going to sell it anyway. Take it. Manai's going to take it and... Who is she going to hand it to? She's going to hand it to Dewey and say, Here, keep keep track of this, would you? Sure. Okay, Dewey, you have the gem of seeing. <laughs> and Dr. Lucy says, uh, And of course, last but not least, I would like to give your group this bowl of scrying. Here it is. Uh, and they, they, reach, <laughs> they reach out to Squeak, who hands them uh, a, a small, like, metal bowl. If you've ever seen... Um, I don't know what they're called, but like the small brass bowls that aid you in meditation. You like tap on the side and it rings out and you meditate for as long as it rings out. It sort of looks like that. Uh, just holds it out to your party as a whole. And you see like uh, arcane runes inscribed along the brass edges of this bowl. And they say, 
you have to fill this bowl halfway with your blood. Uh, but it will allow the two of us to communicate as long as I also have it active. Let's just say, let's just try to check in at a certain time of night every day, if that's okay with the four of you. Well, if it involves bleeding, it should go to Oka. They love to make themselves bleed. What are you talking about? Nothing. What? <laughs> uh, Dr. Luso hands the book to you. <laughs> it's a, it, it does seem like a lot of blood, but it's, it's a pretty small, it's a pretty small bowl. Uh, so what this means is, in order to activate this bowl, roll one d six, and you lose that much blood and necrotic damage. Uh, and then you're you're able to activate the the bowl. And as long as Doctor Aluso has the other end of this bowl and also has it active, the two of you will be able to see each other. Does my celestial resistance apply to that necrotic damage? That'd be nice. Uh, yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, it applies to all necrotic damage, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Then it does. Oh, yeah. That's why it should go to Oka. <laughs> I knew all along. Don't worry. I got this. <laughs> Sure, you did. Uh, do you have any other questions before you leave? I can, of course, replenish your rations as well and any other materials you might have used during your journey to get here. That would be nice. Certainly. Uh, and Squeak and Dr. Luso help, like, get your saddlebags, you know, ready and, like, your, like gives you your rations back, etc. Um, and Dr. Luso says, uh, Dabathati should only be about a 20, maybe 15 days journey from here. Certainly not as far as Fireroot Farm, where you came from to visit me. Probably only halfway. Oh, just gonna walk back and forth across the wastes, aren't we? I suppose so. Do we have a do your path? We have to cross the uh, Godspine, don't we? Yes, you have to cross the Godspine once, and then you can make your way along the heavily patrolled, a much safer heavenly road until you reach Dabathati. Mm -hmm. I think getting to the Godspine should be about three days travel from here. And the journey through the Godspine might take you another two or three. And then the rest, the rest of the days should lead you to Dabathati. Great. I've been there before from this region, so. Great. Then you should lead the way. Um, I mentioned this to Oka earlier, but I have another group that I've sent out on a mission to Kirtal, actually. Um, they should be back by the time you get back. There's no deadline on this mission per se, but if you could... Figure out what you need to figure out and get back within, let's say, a month and a half. That would be appreciated. We do have a three-year time limit before the next cataclysm occurs that will very likely wipe, wipe out existence as we know it, or some other horrible thing. So, time is of the essence. Let's get going. Very well. Thank you for your help, and Godspeed. Uh, and Dr. Luso sees the four of you off waves from their homestead. A squeak also sort of stands on the threshold of Dr. Luso's cottage, uh, arms crossed over her big round little belly, uh, looking very uh, annoyedly at the four of you as you set out. Okay, uh, so now we're going to enter a little uh, travel monologue similar to how we got here, um, but this time we're gonna be using that special relationship building mini game that I've developed with help from the Starcrossed system, is my inspiration from that, Starcrossed RPG, check them out. Uh, so yeah, so what time of day is it? Midday, maybe? Midday. Okay, middle of right the day. After lunch. Great, right after lunch, love it. So if it's right after lunch, or have you guys like stopped to take lunch? Are you like paused at camp? Or are you eating and walking? 
Uh, we probably pause. Cool. You've paused. Uh, are Oka and V nearby? I think Oka's minding her own business. Okay. We're just hanging out. What about V? He's probably eavesdropping, but you're only a whatever. <laughs> okay, sounds good. Uh, and any other <laughs> small events or details you'd like to establish that might be relevant to the scene before we start? Probably about packing up to start moving again. Cool. Okay, uh, so y'all have just finished lunch and you're in the middle of packing up. All around you, you see the red rock dunes of the Badlands surrounding you. You see like an Ocotillo nearby, the spiny cactus, flowering cactus uh, plant. Uh, you see like lizards skittering across the ground. Uh, there aren't any other travelers nearby. You've set up, quote unquote, a temporary camp near a large rock, uh, resting in the shade of it uh, to protect yourself from the ever-present light and heat that radiates and oppresses. Uh, your skin like this hot blanket of molasses. That's how hot it is. Dewey and Manaya, the two of you find yourselves packing up your lunch next to each other. When Dewey, you start the scene. Is it, is it just me or is it... It's really hot out here. Huh? Are you... Are you a little dizzy? Uh, Dewey, are you, are you alright? Have you... Have you had water? Do I have water? Janai's gonna pull out her water skin and be like, here, here, sit down, drink this. Probably just a little bit dehydrated. Okay. And I sip. <laughs> nice. This is why we hydrate. <laughs> <laughs> you're always so prepared. Well, when you're out on the sea, you never know what's gonna come by. Speaking of, have you... Have you ever been outside of Uhamahi until... Mostly just moved around the islands. Mm. Never really left. Have you, You've been everywhere though, right? Well, I wouldn't say everywhere, but I have been to ports in seven of the eight nations. Wow. Kirtal's the only landlocked one I haven't been to. So you're traveling all the time? Well, you get used to it. I'll say those cakes we had yesterday they were so rich, so much flavor. I'm used to grits and other flavorless things, and if they do have flavor, it's salt water. Yeah, me too. The The food at uh, my previous employer uh, was not very good. Speaking of your em previous employer, I must apologize about how I looked at you a few days ago, yesterday, day before, I, um, I've been thinking about the URL and my thoughts about the Queen and everything, and at first I was angry at the URL and I equated you to them, and I'm, I'm sorry about that. I know you ran away and are probably, have put that all behind you. Trying to, uh... Thanks for the uh, apology. Um, just just for my records, when was this that you were upset at me? Uh, oh, oh, no, that's not important. Here, you should have some more water. It's uh, okay. Uh, I'm not good with these temperature changes. <laughs> it's brutal out here, isn't it? Yeah. Good thing I have all of you to keep me from doing dumb shit. <laughs> and Dewey, you drink down, uh, you gulp down some more water that Manias handed to you, and you feel significantly more refreshed. 
Dewey, it's Dewey's turn to be in a tent with Oka that night. Uh, so this is what's happening. The ever-present darkness is all around you. Let's say um, V is on watch. Uh, but V will not be involved in this situation because what happens within the tent is this. Oka, start the scene for us. Well, oh my god, they were roommates. Uh, <laughs> they were tent mates. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, Oka has to get up in the middle of the night uh, to take a, a bio break and they, like, you know, do a like a half asleep nod to V, you know? Okay. They go, they do their business, and then they're coming back. They open up the tent flap, uh, and they fall. They not trip, they just decide that gravity is, they're done with it. They would like to be more <laughs> asleep than they are right now. Uh, and they fall, like, body, like, all, you know, 160 pounds of themselves uh, right on top of Dewey. Oh god. <laughs> it's reminding me of that like horse vine that just stomps on the bird in the middle of the <laughs> horse pasture. It's like walking and the bird goes squeak and it's over. <laughs> it's over. <laughs> and the scene's done. Dewey's dead. Uh, so Dewey, you feel this huge weight. You're in the middle of dreaming. You're dreaming about your ex and your kid. Uh, and you're dreaming, uh, their faces are floating in front of, of your vision. Uh, and then suddenly they become flattened like pancakes or <laughs> scallion pancakes and you wake up with a huge weight bearing down upon your feathered hollow, hollow bones. Let me out, let me out! Let me go! <laughs> I won't say anything, I won't say anything, please let me go! What are you talking about? Stop talking, Dewey. Uh, is... And Oka like slaps their hand down, uh, on, on Dewey's beak, I guess. <laughs> ah, no, I won't say anything, please. Well, stop me. saying something. Then you're already saying something. Just stop saying something. God, who, who's? Wait, Oka. Ah. Uh, what? 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 Is someone, is some, uh, Oka kind of sits up now a little bit, uh, which only furthers to, like, shift their weight on Dewey's tiny little oh. bird body. Oh. Uh, are we being, is something happening? Dewey, is there you, a monster? You, you feel something Dewey within you up. snap. <laughs> Get off me! Oh. I try futilely oh. to push Oka off of me. Make a strength uh. check. Great. I love doing that in the middle of the night. <laughs> okay, you don't have to do anything in response. Strength check against Oka's weight. Yes, against Oka's muscular, ripped, awesome our body. Uh, what did you get, <gasps> Dewey? I got a 19. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, Dewey, adrenaline. Adrenaline kicks in, uh, and, you, and you shove Oka off. And Oka, you go tumbling back onto your side of the bed. Yeah, I think uh, Oka tumbles so far, and now they're trying to catch themselves that they they like grab the side of the tent and pull it. Oh. You know, so the whole so the whole thing <laughs> roll? Like, goes sideways. V, you're just en really you're enjoying this. <laughs> yeah, I just hear things from a tent, and I'm like, oh. <laughs> yeah, the noises are. Uh... <laughs> 
Uh, so yeah, the tent begins to collapse. Its fragile bones begin to uh, get pulled down as the flaps of the canvas begin to fall down upon the two of you. What? <laughs> What's going on? Dewey, what is that you? you? What do you do? Uh, God. Let me out of here. Uh, yeah, I think we're just trying to pull, pull the canvas off. Uh-huh. Off of us at this point. Uh-huh. Uh, the two of you are able to write the tent again after your panic uh, dissipates and you realize what's happened. Dewey, did you have a nightmare or something? What's wrong with you? <laughs> were you Were you drunk? <laughs> what? No, I Why ran should... out of booze like a day and a half ago. It fucking sucks. Why were you- what? Why it's were you okay. On top? Listen, okay. Everyone's had nightmares before. I understand. You got a little flaily. It's okay. We just put the tent back up. <laughs> uh, yeah. Does not understand that it was their fault. Yeah. Uh, the two of you work together to write the tent again. Uh, and Oka, in your flailing, you notice that you broke Dewey's glasses. Wait, I was wearing them to sleep. I assume you you put them oh, aside no. somewhere. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There. It was probably in the tent at some point. Does anyone have mending? Or, <laughs> or am I just blind for the rest of this? I won't, I won't make you take a penalty to it. I just think it's like a, a little note of flavor, a consequence from all the flailing in the tent. Shit. Uh, I look at Dewey. I look at the glasses. I look at Dewey. And I don't stand. But I take the glasses. No. Are those my glasses? What? Are those my glasses? I mean, they're in here. They're might be glasses in here. Yes, I broke your glasses, Dewey. I'm sorry. Oh, well <laughs> Listen, I'll see if... Uh, fuck. Uh, Oka starts, like, going through their pack. Uh, and they bring out uh, a hunting trap. And they bring out, like, two vials of thick black liquid. They bring out, like, a, a, a length of chain. Mm -hmm. uh, and they kind of look at it. Mm -hmm. And I look at Dewey. Mm -hmm. And they look at their stuff. Mm -hmm. Look at the glasses. Mm -hmm. Wait, you're a mechanic, right? You can just. <laughs> you can yeah, but I'd, lo I'd love to be able to see to like fix them. Okay, okay, I I know, I understand. I'm gonna make this right, Dewey. I feel bad because now I broke the glasses. Uh, <clears throat> uh, just tell me what to do, and I'll do it. <laughs> Great. Uh, and I think the two of you, uh, with Dewey coaching you, Oka acting as Dewey's eyes, managed to fix the glasses again. Though they do look, they're slightly lopsided now. Uh, but Dewey can see through them just fine. They're just a little, it's clear that they were broken and then messily patched back together. It's now. kind of like there's tape. There's like tape in the middle. You look like a total nerd. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Harry Potter. <laughs> yeah, it's very Harry Potter. And I think that that is how that scene ends. Uh, and then about maybe a few days pass, let's say almost like, let's say a week passes. By the end of this week, you are making your way out of the Godspine. Uh, when you first entered the Godspine from the Badlands of Northern Talmud, traveling south so you can then move farther west to get to Dabathati, you notice an immediate change in the terrain. You reach the Godspine uh, on the morning of your, let's say, fourth day of travel. You see its tall, jagged peaks looming in front of you at the bottom of a dip in the dunes, the duned valleys of the Badlands. You see 
a storm gathering uh, in the very peaks of these mountains with lightning flashing through them and the thunderous booms in the distance. This storm looks ever-present because as you approach the god spine, it doesn't dissipate at all. Thankfully, it's quite a few leagues to your east, uh, so it won't be storming where you're traveling through, but you do see flashes of lightning from the very unfortunate section of god spine that it, the storm's attacking. Uh, you also see what appears to be like a small narrow path that you decide to take uh, to make your way farther south through the god spine. Uh, you see these tall, looming crevices at the narrowest point at, during your travels through the god spine. Only two of you can watch shoulder to shoulder while at the widest point multiple caravans could easily skirt their way through the Godspine. Uh, the name of the game here is Wild, Jagged, Gray, Piercing Rock. Uh, and all around you is just rock and little mosses and little patches of hardy ferns growing in the cracks uh, between boulders. Uh, quick question. Where, over which country or which uh, nation does the storm look like it's over? Uh, it's still within Talmud. Would I be able to tell? Yeah, it's it's still within the Republic. Okay, for sure. Yeah, um, but as you're as you're making your way farther south, you know, you you set up camp within caves. You set up camp within like overhangs. You know, you try to find the most sheltered parts that don't also have like owl bears sleeping in them. There was an incident where you thought it was abandoned, but a sharp eye noticed some droppings and feathers on the ground that looked fresh, so you decided to leave it alone. So Thanks, <laughs> you're surprised that you made your way through the Godspine with almost no incident aside from that almost owlbear attack until, of course, oh my God. one night. Tell me who is on watch. Oka can be on watch. Uh, Oka and Manaya, the two of you are, are on watch while Dewey and V are sleeping. Where have you set up camp? A couple of spires that kind of come up almost like a comb. So kind of like a cave and kind of like a rocky, rocky cliff outcropping, perhaps. Sounds good. Two between two spires. Sure. Okay. Uh, yeah, so you you've set up camp between these two spires uh, in the shadow of the spires, let's say, keeping a fire burning and your eyes peeled for any activity that might be happening on the fringes of this darkness. Um, when something seems to drop from the spires. At first, Manaya, you think it's like a rock that's come loose from the spire, but as it descends upon your head, your ears sort of perk, and the last thing you see is Oka's face uh, being illuminated by the campfire before everything goes dark and something lands upon your head. Um, and we are now in a phase of accelerated combat as two strange creatures attack your party. The thing that landed on your head, Manaya, Oka, you see it clearly being lit by the uh, flames of the campfire. It appears to be like a giant, um, like a cloak, uh, like a big leathery cloak, but with like like sharp claws at the edges, a much big, bigger even than the thing that attacked you in the tunnel with the quay. This cloak goes all the way down to like Manaya's knees, which is considerable because Manaya's a big, a big girl. Horrible. 
Yes. Okay. Uh, so what this means now for accelerated combat, for those who don't know, it is in my little homebrew system. We're still working the kinks out of, but it's a way to handle tra- uh, combat on the road in a way that's fast but still feels narrative. Uh, so there are three primary roles we're going to make. We're going to make the first two as a group together. Um, the first two are our fight and wound roles to basically see how much damage we do and how much damage we take uh, to sort of uh, flavor our narration. So I know all of us first roll together our fight roll. That's your d20. You decide if you want to primarily rely on your spell casting or your martial ability. Abilities if you can do both. So just make it's made like a normal attack roll. So make your fight roll. Oh lord. Uh, can I use my last point of inspiration? Uh, yes, you can. V got a 23. Let me write that down. Uh, Oka got an unnatural 20. Cool, 20. Do we? 14. 14. Manaya? I'm keeping this for the flavor. Okay. That one. <gasps> oh boy! I love that. I'm gonna give you a point of inspiration for taking taking that L. V, you got a 23. Okay, you got a 20. A Dewey, you got a 14. And Manaya got a nat one. Remember, a nat one means you have a you deal a pathetic amount of damage, and this also means you have disadvantage on your following rolls. Why don't everyone make a wound roll for me? This is made similar to a either Constitution or a Dexterity saving throw, dealer's choice. Unnatural 20. Damn. He's, He's doing really it. good. A 12. Bro. 12, okay. 13 from Dewey. 13 from Dewey, sounds good. Uh-oh. Manaya. Uh, one. A <laughs> nap. Again. Uh, I use different dice this time. Um, okay, this means that you lose consciousness. You acquire a severe injury and you cannot make an inspired roll, which is the fourth one. Wow, okay, so Manai gets her ass kicked in this fight, is what this means. Okay, so before we make our inspired roll, which is like up to the players what skill you want to use for your inspired roll, um, why don't the four of you tell me how this fight goes up until that point? Well, Oka immediately starts screaming uh, as Manai gets a brand new cloak. Uh huh. Or yelling, rather. Uh huh. They back off a little. and you know, uh, gonna try to do some do some good old fire slashing at it. Trying to be more careful of not hurting Manaya. Uh, with your with your twenty with your unnatural twenty fight roll, you're able to do it. Uh, as Manaya, you're like flailing around with this cloak obscuring your vision, and you can feel like teeth all around you, like chomping chomping on you, as this thing is like trying to eat eat you, it seems. Um, I think you like you begin to stumble and flail around as Oka, you, you draw your sword and you try to slice this thing off of Manaya. By this point, Dewey and V, the two of you have woken up from a lot of the screaming and of course the sounds of battle from outside your tent. Um, so Dewey with your 14 and V with your 23, how are you approaching the battle? There are two of these, remember? <laughs> yeah, so V's gonna jump out there See what's going on. See the two creatures. Uh, she's gonna use. Hold a on. There are no. There are not two creatures. Only one has come down. Just upon. the one. Yeah. I only said okay. one has come down and has ap- apparently consumed Manaya. Okay. So then I'm gonna see the one. Uh, I'm going to run in the direction of Manaya, leap and do like an acrobatic flip and cast uh, Scorching Ray. Okay. So basically, since the thing is over, it I'm just gonna be like. Basically, it's shielding Manaya from Scorching Ray. Okay. Blast the crap out of it and then land on my feet and go outside. Cool. Uh, you see, it becomes crispy, crispy fried cloak skin. You're like a, you're like a, you're like a firebender. You like do the flip and you're like. Oh yeah, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. You do like a firebending flip. Very, very cool. We just watched Legend of Korra, me and C, so we're very inspired by that. Uh, uh, v, you burst out of your tent. You flip. 
and you you see this the fire just scorch, create huge scorch marks along this thing's body. Uh, Dewey, what are you doing while this is happening? Pop out of the tent to see something has replaced Manaya. I don't know what it is, so I scramble to find the weapon, and I just, like, smack at it. Yes. As as you take out your, your sword, is it your flying sword that you're taking out? No, it's my quarterstaff. Okay, you take out your quarterstaff. As you as you raise your quarterstaff to slap it, though, um, something else happens. All four of you hear a kind of, um, chittering bellow. Like, oh, no. like a lion's roaring, but oh. its mouth is made of beaks is kind of what it sounds like. I hear a chittering bellow coming from behind you, and all four of you sort of whip around in time, except for Manaya's, everything's muffled. You can't really hear anything. You don't really know what's going on. Uh, when another creature bursts out of a nearby darkness, uh, dark hiding area in, in, in this like very cavernous space, you see it's very tall, first of all, taller than even Manaya. It's a creature that looks like a cross between a lobster and a scorpion, maybe? It has these like tentacles coming out of its mouth, huge lobster-like pincers, large, ferocious-looking black eyes, a chitinous plating all over its body, and a large stinger coming out of its butt. Uh, and it has like many like various legs that are all like uh, And Oka, you could use your inspired world to find out what the hell these things are, uh, but we're not quite there yet. So based on your wound rolls, right? Uh, v, you got a 20, Oka, you got a 12, Dewey got a 13, Manaya got a 1. Tell me how these wound rolls factor into the next portion of this fight. Uh, Manaya is horribly afraid of spiders. And one of her greatest fears, and one of her recurring nightmares from when she was a child, uh, is spiders being all over her and, like, biting. Ooh. Um, combine that with the fact that just a few weeks ago, Another thing flew onto her face and, and obscured her vision. And now that she's learned, might have stolen her soul. Or had the chance to, basically. Uh, so, she's, uh, so she's a little bit traumatized from that. And uh, thrashes about for a good while, probably bumping into some of her party members. And then probably faints. Uh-huh. Uh-huh, I love that. So as soon as this like other huge lo like lobster scorpion towering creature with its very thrashing tentacle mouth appears, all of you just sort of see Manaya go, and keel over uh, and stop moving. And just, with this thing on With this thing on, yeah. She looks like she could be dead. Yeah, is, what, is how bad this looks. And you can see like blood now seeping out from like the end of where this huge teethy cloak is attached to like the bottoms of her thighs you see blood like just soaking her pants like soaking through the blackness of her pants uh as manaya falls over just taking into account oka's wound roll a, a sound beating you acquire a minor injury it's probably like you, you lose some you get hit you get smacked around a bit Oka's like fuck 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 uh, and uh, has to, you know, step out of the way of Manaya falling because they were, like, stabbing at the thing mm -hmm. around her. Mm -hmm. uh, and they step out of the way and right into the line of trajectory of that stinger. Uh -huh. uh, and I would actually, uh, given what I would like to do on my inspiration roll, I... Ooh, it's horrible! Uh, I would love it to uh, pierce them, perhaps in the shoulder or the hand, uh, and drag them up into the air. 
Sounds good. And what this means for the mild injury you've accrued, I think this makes sense. The poison seeps through your body, the venom from this stinger. You feel, you, you jerk around uh, as you lose control of your nerves for a period of time. And what this means is for the remainder of your, go ahead. I have resistance to poison damage. Nice. Okay, so I'll, I'll mitigate some of the effects of the poison then. Um, what this means is for the remainder- I have advantage on saves against poison, sorry. No worries. I Let me finish talking! Okay, so- I have these things! I- say, say, you have, say you have resistance to poison one more time. Say it. <laughs> say it one more time. Okay. Say it. Say you have dark vision, say it. Say it. Okay. <laughs> so what this means, Oka, is for the remainder of your travel time, as this poison seeps through your body and you're trying to fight it off, you can feel your Asimar heritage, you know, and your blood hunter training, like kicking in as you're trying to fight this off. But what this means is for the remainder of your travel time, you have a persistent fever sort of comes oh, with fuck. getting this venom which means usually it would mean you have disadvantage on inspired roles during accelerated combats for the rest of this time i'm not going to give you that because you're able to fight it off pretty well i'll allow it um but basically what this means is for the rest of the travel time you have to treat your fever by drinking lots of water taking medicine and eating hot broths and soups if you fail to treat your fever daily it will persist for 10 days after your travel ends giving you disadvantage on all attack rolls for the duration okay Get a mild injury. Self-care. All right, so Oka, as you're hoisted okay. into the air by the stinger, we like flash forward to you having to like drink soup, but like now we're back in the present. As you're like hoisted up by the stinger and you're jerking like a like a wooden marionette, Dewey, you and V look up in horror. Uh, how? What do the two? Of, oh, thank you for the hydration. I have to pee now. Thanks, guys. Yes. For, get, for this hydration. Like, for real. Like we, we're all here with full ass bladders. I regret it. Actually, I don't regret it. Thank you for redeeming your channel points. Um, Dewey and V, what do the two of you? do for this accelerated combat um well getting an unnatural 20 i feel like i don't really receive much damage but i would say from uh, uh from Manaya's flailing around i've had to like like she came at me and i kind of like jumped onto one spider and then the other spider and like just did some acrobatic shit to avoid all that shit uh-huh. Oh, uh, uh, on top of the spires? Like, jumping between the spires? Yeah, like, I jumped between spires. Oh, and that's then, like, cool. And maybe I kind of, like, landed a little bit wrong in my foot, but I'm okay. I really like that. I'm actually going to give you a point of inspiration for that. There we go. Yeah, so you jump from spire to spire as this huge scorpion lobster crab thing comes bursting out of the darkness, uh, screeching and chittering. Uh, Dewey, what do you do? You got a 13 for your wound roll, which means you also get a sound beating. You acquire a, minor, a mild injury. Can I say that? When I see Manai go down, I start trying to like pull at the edges of the. I love that. Her. Sure. And yeah. because it's got teeth, it like <laughs> kind of hurts my hands. Like uh -huh. hurts up my hands a little bit. Sure. And I am not really paying attention to the thing behind me. Sounds good. But because you got like a pretty normal attack roll, I th I'm gonna say you're able to pull this thing off. You like, oh, you grunt and strain against this thing, and you rip it off, and it's horrible. Uh, it's like it looks like a cloak, but like the inside of the cloak is just covered in teeth, like just tons of little biting teeth. Um, and you see Manaya is like bleeding everywhere. She looks like she's either dead or severely unconscious. Uh, and you're, you, you, you mess up your hands and your arms a little bit. This thing seems to want to attach onto you, but you're able to fight it off. So you're like resting against it. Uh, and what this means is for the rest of your travel time, you get persistent um, bruises all over your body after the cuts are fairly shallow, but they seem to like penetrate into the muscle and bruise it. Um, so what this means is for the remainder of your travel time, Dewey, you have disadvantage on wound rolls during accelerated combats. You must treat your bruises with daily 
icing. If you fail to ice your bruises daily, your bruises persist for 10 days after your travel ends, giving you disadvantage on all saving throws for the duration. You just gotta ice yourself up. So we flash forward a little bit. Where are we gonna find ice? I don't know. Do any of you have ice breath? like frost, frost, frost. Ray of frost. V, do you have ray of frost? I have ray of frost. But that wouldn't hurt you unless he just like, like did like a tiny, I'd allow it. I'd allow V to help treat your bruises. I would say you have enough control over your magic at level four to know how to do that. I'll use a rock and then you can use the rock to like. That's a good idea. That's actually a really good idea. I'm gonna give you another point of inspiration for that, V. Uh, Future inspiration. Future inspiration, yep. Uh, So we flash forward to seeing uh, Dewey icing their bruised feathers with a uh, frozen rock that V has handed them. But now we flash back to the present and uh, Dewey, you're wrestling with this huge teeth cloak as Mania slowly bleeds out on on the cold hard ground next to you. I can't believe you got two now ones in a row. So now we're moving on to the fun part, inspired rolls. Unfortunately, Manaya, you can't make this roll. Uh, you're lying on the ground. Um, but I will let you make a death roll just for flavor to see like how you're doing. You won't be able to die from this, don't worry. Unless, uh, even if you roll in that one, that's just two failures and you'll need three, is what I mean. So Manaya, why don't you make a death roll for me while the three of you make your, ins- uh, three of you tell me what you want to do for your inspired roll and then I'll tell you what skill to roll for. You don't add anything to the death save. Nope, it's straight right? up. Yep. Yeah, nine. That is, That's a failure. That is fa- <laughs> Manaya, you, you, the blood, all of you can see now, Oka swinging from this huge scorpion tail, uh, Dewey wrestling this teethed cloak, and V, you get the clearest angle, you're you're straddling the two spires, looking down, you see the blood pooling around Manaya's limp form, getting bigger and bigger. Oh, Lord. <laughs> yeah. All right, what are y'all doing for inspired rolls? This is when you get to show off, do whatever you want. Tell me. Oka heard blood. So I would like... Uh, <laughs> Well, blood. <laughs> so she looks at the, the creature below her, still on top of Manaya. She sees this little scorpion dude. She's going to like let her body fall and use twin spells with a sorcery point to do Scorching Ray both down at that creature and at the scorpion. Cool. And so like, the, the guy on top of Manaya is just going to get super heat blast while the other one is a little bit of distance. Yeah, okay, that's-, that's really, really dope. I'm going to say I'm going to allow you to choose either a regular attack roll or an arcana check. Uh, so if I did attack roll, uh, actually, I kind of want to rule that for inspired rolls, it can't be an attack roll or a saving throw because then it makes fight and wound rolls feel less special. So it has to be a skill. So I'm going to let you choose either acrobatics because you're doing some like crazy flipping shit. Sorry, not crazy. A ridiculous flipping shit or an arcana check to see how well you can channel your magic. Uh, then I'll take acrobatics. Sounds good. Roll that acrobatics. Let's see how well you do this. Uh, I got a 21. Oh, uh, yeah. You legend your legend of Korra your way down the spire and and the, 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 the power of the magic leaping out from your palms like holds you aloft in the air like you're, like you're Iron Man or some shit. Uh, and you you like blast this cloaked creature away from Dewey and it lets out a uh, as it like tumbles through the campfire actually and begins to catch on fire. Uh, and you see it begin to try to flap, flap. Uh, it's wings, uh, coming, like, wings from, from the cloak. Like, the cloak is allowing it to, like, fly, and it seems to be, like, trying to escape is what's happening. Uh, man, as you blast the scorpion thing, uh, it, it lets out a chittering roar, and it drops Oka onto the ground. So, Oka and or Dewey, oh. what are you doing for your inspired rolls? 
I would actually prefer to stay up there. Okay, sure. Uh, maybe it's, you're just swinging around wildly on its stinger then. Would you like to go first? Uh, sure. I want to try and... Moving people who are injured is a bad idea. I just want to, like... Help Manaya? Yeah, I want to help Manaya. Okay, you can use your inspired role to try to lessen the repercussions of Manaya's in that one wound roll. Then, let's say. Like, make her not have such a horrible, lasting injury. Uh, so why don't you make a medicine check? Uh, 15. 15. Uh, let's see. I think you patch up Manaya pretty well. You, like, manage to stop the bleeding, right? Which is the most important thing. You wipe off all the blood, and you see, similar to how you're beat up, that the cuts are superficial, but they seem to bleed a lot. So maybe, like, this creature has some sort of, like, venom that, like, causes a lot of bleeding or hemorrhaging, um, but you're able to, like, wrap... You're able to, like, apply pressure. You're able to stop the bleeding, but Manaya is still very torn up. You don't manage to, obviously, suture the wounds, but you manage to contain it. So uh, what this means for Manaya, for your injuries, is I'm going to remove one ailment that you're going to receive uh, due to Dewey's help. So thank you, Dewey. Oka, what are you doing? Okay, okay, here's what I want to do. I would like to use uh, some flavorful aspect of uh, the blo- my like blood curse, my blood curse of binding, and okay. what I would like to do is not only take the blood that's coming out of where I have been thought, and they would also like to use that pool of Manaya's blood that's on the ground to use their blood curse of binding, which I have flavored as being kind of like a blood net. Uh-huh. I'd love to try to use it to uh, make the blood act almost like a rope or a chain or something from my hands, uh-huh. where I'm moving, uh, around the scorpion's tail to pull it down into itself. Does that make sense? Ooh. To pull into its, like, use yeah. the blood rope to pull it down. I like that. Okay, I'm going to allow you to either make a athletics, perception, or insight check to do this. I actually have, uh, I have proficiency in all of those skills, actually. Pick your poison. Let's see. Let's see. This is what they were born to do. The same. I would love to insight it. <gasps> it was a natural 19. Nice! Uh, which, with my insight, it's a 23. Whoa! Okay, so what this means is describe to me how you're using insight to land this. Let's see. Uh, while I was swinging up there, uh, I was tracking the movements, or I was like trying to track the movements of the stinger. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And as like also looking down uh, to try to like find where it is on the ground. <laughs> Let's see. Yeah, to try to find, like, a spot in the plating, and they see the blood, they feel their own blood, and they're like, okay, I know what to do. I know exactly where to pull that stinger down into its own body. Awesome. Uh, So you do that. You manage to, like, read the rhythm and tempo of this huge stinger swinging above your body, uh, and you use it to your advantage, and you you hear a a sickening crunch and a snap uh, as the stinger plunges through the gaps in the plating of this monster's chitinous body, and you pierce it right in its weak spot, uh, and you see this thing's limbs seize up, uh, and it paralyzes itself, and it keels over. Um, So the cloaked creature does get away, but this creature uh, is now bound, because y'all rolled pretty well overall uh, for everything. Uh, This creature is now bound to the ground, and you can do whatever you want with it. And now we're out of our accelerated combat, but I am going to keep, like, one more cool combat song going. Uh, And how we're going to, like, wrap up accelerated combat also this session is, Mnaya, because you rolled a nat 1 on your wound roll, you get a consequence. 
dewy helped, so it's not gonna be as severe, but the consequence I have for a severe injury, which is a nat one, uh, is a gnarly scar. It's a permanent scar. It could be as big or as small as you want, but it is supposed to be kind of gnarly. What kind of scar do you get, Manaya? Manaya's never had a scar in her life. She's been a pretty safe sailor. So she wears a cloak, mm -hmm. which covers most of her body. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be on her face. I refuse to put it on her face. That's fine. It's up to um, you. I won't make you do that. But I will say her legs are pretty exposed because the cloak is open in the front and everything. And yes. she's all over. Yes. Uh, so I'll say on her left leg, from the outside of her left thigh, spiraling down to the inside of her shin, is a huge series of gashes but also, yeah, a series of gashes from those biting teeth. Cool. And it never quite heals itself. The pain recedes, especially after a week or two. Um, but the you're, it's pretty obvious that Scar is going to remain, especially because none of you are clerics or trained to be healers, I think. Dewey we could make an argument for Dewey knowing some medicine, but I don't know if your knowledge is quite enough to be able to remove the Scar completely. And that's the only uh, consequence. Otherwise, I had like some mechanical disadvantages, but due to Dewey's inspired role, I won't make you take them. Cool. Uh, so yeah, now this huge chitinous lobster scorpion thing is prone on the ground. What do y'all decide to do with it before we sign off for our session? Yes. Uh, which is that Oka still has their blood curse of binding active, so they're still they still have air and Manaya's blood at their magical disposal. Uh-huh. Uh, and maybe as some assistance, uh, they're going to like separate the like the streams. Like kind of like a almost like it's fabric or thread that's like woven together of there and Manaya's blood, and try to feed Manaya's blood back into her body. Awesome! I love that description. I'm going to give you inspiration for that. Uh, so, what does it look like as you're uh, trying to feed it back into Manaya's body? Oka's never tried to do something like that, uh, and they're still like this is the blood curse of binding uh-huh so i think like the tendrils the tendrils are like wrapping around her body okay you know, as though they were like some kind of like rope and it's not really working that well i think but like when the blood passes over the like the many open wounds mm -hmm. on her body uh i imagine some of it goes back in because it's like kind of like pressing against her skin you siphon magically some of this blood back into Manaya's body and you hear a <sighs> as Manaya draws breath again and is revived from unconsciousness. Um, what, what, what happened? Some horrible fucked up umbrella fell on you. Also that. Yeah, you see, you see the paralyzed okay. creature. Yeah. Oh. So why don't you just, you just well, stay, stay down there for a minute. Nice, nice going. We, we beat the monsters. Yeah, we did. Uh, and Oka's gonna do the same thing they did to V when they patted her on the face, you know? <laughs> Cheekily and, and do some, some healing hands. Okay. And um, V's gonna see like that Dewey's already got some hardcore bruising, so she's gonna grab a rock, cast Ray of Frost, and be like, here you go, this will help with your bruises. Oh, wonderful. You hand a cold, frosted rock after you, it, like, some, some frost comes out of your palm and you hand it to Dewey. Dewey, you start icing yourself. 
Who likes seafood? <laughs> well, <laughs> I could go for some something to eat. Y'all are gonna eat this thing? Uh, oh, sure. that was it's... a joke. You're joking. <laughs> did it? Did it not land? I wasn't joking. Just kidding. Uh, is this like this monster? Maybe seems like it's an actual real life monster and not the terrifying fucked up shadow teeth monsters we've been fighting. Mostly. Can I maybe make a hunter's bane check to see? Yes. Yes. Why don't you uh, roll um, investigation on it with advantage due to your hunter's bane to see if this is like a like an endake monster or if it's like one of these like fucked up cataclysm monsters. I'm rolling very well right now. Uh, that's a 21. Okay, describe to me how you're investigating this thing's body. Uh, I'm going to use light, because okay. Dr. Elusa was talking about how they became more powerful in the light, so I'm going to use the light in my palm and, like, cast it over. Oh, that's really, that's really cool. To the light. I love that. Yeah, why don't you have another point of inspiration for that? Um, you are actually going to see, as you cast light over the limp form of this uh, creature's body, you notice that those like tentacle things that were protruding from its mouth seem to shrink away from the light. Uh, and based on your 21, this does seem to be one of these freaky new aberrant creatures brought here by the vanishing. And as you cast light over the shrinking tentacles, all four of you hear a voice from inside the darkness. Uh, that says- Excuse me? Yeah, all four of you hear a voice from like beyond the light of your campfire. Uh, a person's voice, it appears, that says, Freaky motherfucker, ain't it? Uh, and stepping into the light of your campfire, you see uh, someone in with like a hood, a hood on, so you can't see their face. Uh, but they seem fairly tall and to have like a wiry and athletic build. Uh, and you notice uh, two swords, like the hilt of two swords coming strapped to their back. Uh, and their voice comes again. They say, I've been tracking that thing for the past week. Thanks for killing it. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Transplaner. Music is by Connie Chong, CIS, and Fezlian Studios, used with permission. Audio mixing is done by Mike Graham. Give Mike a follow on Twitter at OMikeGram. That's O-H, Mike, M-I-K-E, Graham, G-R-A-H-A-M. New podcast episodes drop every other Tuesday. If you can't wait that long, tune into our live stream Saturdays at 3 p.m. U.S. Central Time on Twitch at TransplanerRPG. Also, toss us a follow on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and YouTube at TransplanerRPG. We also have a Patreon. Patrons get early access to episodes, character sheets, high-res art, and much, much more. And finally, a very special thank you to our Patreon paragons. Abigail Rytel, Azra, Brooke Bright, Charles, Cora Eckert, Lex Slater, Moonflower T, Purple Mouse, and Risa.